a festive lunch or two. He examined his two decent shirts. Only half decent actually, he acknowledged ruefully. And the white one probably didn't deserve that epithet either. The collar had seen better days too long ago. So it would have to be the brown one. Not exactly appropriate, but there wasn't any other option. His white lungi was fine. He hardly used it, keeping it only for these special occasions, so it was probably the best article of clothing he possessed. This was an important day in his calendar. As a poor priest, unaffiliated to any temple, making a living was an act of daily desperation. Luckily, he'd never married and was responsible for nobody except himself. Still, for the last six years, it had been a blessing to know for sure that at least on this one day of the year, he would eat well and sleep on a full belly. Seven years ago, he'd been trudging the cruel pavement as was his custom when he was stopped by a lady, evidently a maid servant, and politely asked if he would kindly grace her mistress's home with his presence. The old-fashioned speech and formal gesturing was unaccustomed music to his ears. She said her mistress wanted to feed some Brahmins to honour her late husband on his birth anniversary. Of course, he'd leapt at the chance. This gracious lady had invited five Brahmins for the lunch, which she and the maid had prepared with evident care. It included many of her late husband's favourite foods. All the men were touched by her gentility, and there was none of the usual gourmandizing at such events. There were discussions about many subjects, including the absent host, at the end of the leisurely lunch, their hostess invited them to reunite a year later. She insisted that they return and that it would make both her and her husband happy. And just like that, it had become an annual ritual. The numbers at the table had steadily declined over the years. The guests went from five to four to three to only two last year each one wondering who'd be the last man standing. The hostess too was showing signs of age and looked thinner than when they'd first met. The maid was tired and sometimes querulous with the men, though evidently devoted to her mistress. He stepped out cautiously. He was always cautious nowadays. He couldn't afford to have an accident. There was no one to look after him, nor any money to pay for the treatment. And if he fell, that would be the end of him, he knew. It was too early to go to the ritual lunch, but this was his time to go out, so he did. He was lumbering along slowly and aimlessly when he found himself almost shanghaied and herded into an outdoor banquet area. The aggressive men refused to listen to his demurrals. They had to feed a certain number of people. He was a person, sit down and eat. He didn't look as if he was in any position to be turning down a feast. He perched precariously on a misbalanced plastic chair on the patchily grassed lawn 
on which they'd set up their hasty trestle tables covered with lengths of graying paper and rows of banana leaves already drying and curling at the edges. A row of mangy-looking servers were coming down the line, slapping food onto the banana leaves. The rest of the diners attacked the offerings with a vigorous appetite. Mmm, the aroma filling the space was powerful. Those over-hearty manhandlers had been right. He could definitely do with the food. Even the certain knowledge that there was a grand meal awaiting him in a few hours couldn't help him hold back. And when the steaming rice flooded with golden ghee and drowned in plump vegetables was smacked down right in front of him, he gave up all pretense of resisting and reached hungrily for the food. It slid down his scraggy throat and into the empty bowl of his stomach from where it called for more and more and more. One of the raucous gangs slapped him on his back. What, old man? I thought you were saying no. Now I see you can't get enough, huh? Even the cruel remarks didn't give him pause and he nodded eagerly for a second helping of the rich and glistening halwa. His belly felt tight as a drum and a resounding belch rolled up through it. And that's when he realized what he'd let himself do. He folded his leaf shut and pushed it away. He was disgusted with himself. But he was wedged in by two hefty table mates and couldn't leave. So he sat there and wallowed in his shame. When at last he thought he could escape, he was snagged by one of the easy breezy youngsters again, pushing a bag into his hands, roughly, though not unkindly. There's a shirt and lungi in there, and two thousand rupees, so don't go turning away good fortune when it drops right into your hands, old man. The brutishness of the boy stung him, more so as he compared it with the elegance of his hostess for lunch. In only two hours, he must present himself for another feast, and he didn't feel he could slide in a drop of anything at that moment. But he'd rather die than insult that gracious lady by refusing her food. So he walked and walked and walked for those two hours, clutching that bag that he didn't want but couldn't afford to give away. Tired and sweaty, he stopped at a tap and laved water over his arms and head and face. It struck him that he could wear his new shirt and he delved into the bag and pulled out a crisp blue shirt and in a trice he'd whipped it on and pushed his wet brown one into the bag. But not before he noticed the red gift envelope and pulled it out. It wasn't sealed and a quick glance told him there were really 2,000 rupees inside. That was more money than he could remember seeing in one place. Those youngsters had been crass and brutal, but they, or whoever they represented, had been hugely generous, he acknowledged. The maid led him into the house and escorted him to the dining room, where the other guest and the mistress of the house were already present, and they sat down to lunch straight away. He noticed she was in a wheelchair. Surely that was new. The food was already laid on the table in covered dishes. Perhaps 
Ferrying it from the kitchen was a harder task now than previously. Everything looked a bit run down and he had no idea if it had always been so. He realized that in the past, he'd been completely focused only on filling the hollow cavern of his belly and it was only because he wasn't as starved as usual today that he had the leisure to observe his surroundings. He saw how the mistress herself held back and ate very little while constantly encouraging the two of them to have more. He almost drowned in shame as he realized the offerings were limited and were being reserved for the honored guests. Or had they always been? He couldn't say. She commented that he wasn't eating with anything near his usual appetite and he confessed, falsely, that his ability to eat had been sadly reduced of late. All the time, she urged them both to have some more of this or another of that and all the time, he observed everything far more minutely than before. She wasn't poor by any means, he understood. She had the house and the furniture and all her good quality clothes and the trimmings for her elegant table, all her old things which she was husbanding carefully. But she must be short of ready money. The wheelchair was a homemade contraption, a plasticky thing with casters quite insecure. But she was real thin and so it would serve. There was evidently no help other than the maid, who was looking frazzled with all the extra work for this elaborate lunch. His heart went out to her. She was a kindly soul and had always treated her random Brahmins with dignity. She'd never played the grand dame with them, just the generous hostess. But it was patent to him that now she had distinctly less to be generous with. When they'd been fed fit to burst, she permitted them to leave, only insisting they visit again next year and maintain the tradition to honour her husband. The other fellow thanked her and scrambled off, appreciating nothing but the warm food that now filled his belly. He himself hesitated a moment at the door before speaking to the maid. I have been lucky recently, and as your madam has always been so generous to me, I have enclosed some of my good fortune and left it in a red envelope under my plate. Please explain to your mistress that this is a small dakshina, a token only of the immense thanks I owe her for the great kindness she has shown me year on year. I will be most honoured if she will accept it. The maid's eyes flew up to his, alarmed. But when she saw nothing but his soft honesty, she relented. It would not be easy, but she would try to convince her mistress. It was only a token Dakshina, he insisted, for he had learnt much from her mistress in these seven years. He thanked the maid and walked away quietly. That red envelope would keep them for a month at least. It gave him an inordinate satisfaction. He was used to scrounging every day for survival. The riches had been surprisingly easy to give away. And he still had the new shirt and the lungi. A guffaw of laughter burst out of him as he thought that, if he was still around the next year, 
he'd have to go looking again for those bumptious boys and their rude generosity.